Welcome to Homegirl Nation. I'm your host, Bridget Strong. It's the holiday season, and that means it's time for some festive entertainment. While some shows and movies lean toward romantic comedies this time of year, others offer a more thrilling twist, just like the recently released Audible original Mistletoe Murders 2, which is available to stream right now. Now, this series features a fantastic ensemble cast with many of the talents hailing from Canada, including the delightful Anna Cathcart, whom I had the pleasure of sitting down with recently. Now, you might recognize Anna from her breakout roles in the Netflix hits To All the Boys I've Loved Before and Exo Kitty. This holiday season, she's back, lending her voice to narrate the Canadian Audible original series Mistletoe Murders 2. Let's find out what this season is all about from Anna herself, and let's find out more about this rising star. Let's meet Anna. You're from Vancouver. When I think of Vancouver, I think of the great outdoors, outdoor adventuring. Totally. Anna Cathcart growing up, a big outdoorsy gal I like I want to say I am I think I'm being totally honest like my sister and my dad are like total outdoors people and like totally like big into hiking and cycling and everything so they kind of took that like more in our family they took that role of being the outdoor people but I still love it I love like especially in Vancouver like in the same day you can like go to the beach we can also go to the mountains you can also go to the forest like we kind of have it all so I I love it so much and when I'm not at home like I miss it truly like a lot and that's what we miss out here in Toronto. Like Toronto has its perks for sure, but it's it's the scenic beauty that we don't get enough of. So where did yeah. acting and all of that come in for you? Being in a space as outdoorsy as Vancouver, where did the uh, the creative arts come in? Honestly, I, I mean, my older sister, she did commercials when I was younger. And I just, I grew up wanting to be like her in every possible way. And I was like, well, I want to do commercials. And I did like two when I was, really little like I was like six years old and 10 years old and I did like one and then I auditioned for my first tv show at 12 years old and it was totally like in my mind it, you could not be an actor like an actor is like a distant dream like I would love to be one but who's actually an actor for real and I ended up booking my first audition which was like still so mind-blowing to me and I look back on that all the time and then I moved to Toronto actually for two years and lived there while shooting this show and I was kind of like my like boot camp to learn how to be an actor and I just completely fell in love with it and then things kind of just kept rolling after that show which I'm very grateful for but it is it is crazy because it wasn't really something I like chased after like oh this is gonna happen because I just didn't think that was realistic I'm like who's like who's an actor like I think that's crazy but it happened and it still still blows my mind okay how old were you when you had your first audition do you remember I was 12 I just turned 12 it was the summer before grade seven and yeah, it was it was a very crazy time. And the one the commercial I had done at ten, it was for like Crayola Chalk. It was a very, very big important day in my life. And I remember leaving set that day and literally turning to my mom and I was like, That was the best day of my life. I was like, that was like the coolest possible thing anyone could ever do. Like I just thought it was the greatest. And that looking back, I'm like, that was pretty defining of realizing how how much it meant to me. Like just doing that one commercial truly like changed something in my head. <laughs> and Crayola, iconic brand. What kid doesn't want to be a part of that? Right. Every time I see Crayola now, I'm like, you you started it all. <laughs> <laughs> Your success. Thanks to me. Thanks to me. <laughs> At 12 years old though, because I auditioned for a bit when I was younger too. And I just remember how intimidating 
It was to walk into casting talents rooms. And then you kind of see people who look like you as well, like 20 other talents. You're like, this is a weird alternate universe. But beyond that, the rejection, like the no's that, because you, as an actor, you're getting no's a lot more than you're getting yes. A lot. Yes. How do you prepare for that? I, I don't know. I, I really, I've been a few people who like have started acting recently or like they've asked me that question too. Like, oh, how do you get used to that? Or like, is that something you should expect? And it might sound like pessimistic, but honestly, I will go into things being like, this is not probably going to happen. I am not going to get this. I am not going to set an expectation. Even if I do well, that doesn't gonna, that's not going to necessarily equate to you're getting the job or you're getting the role. I think that's a really big thing too is understanding that it's not always personal and it's not because you were bad, so you didn't get it. There's so many incredible people out there and there's so many incredible specific things they're looking for in someone for for one role or for one project. And it's not because you're not good enough or or it has any your value gets any lower because you didn't get something. It's mm. it's very specific and there's so many decisions that go into what happens and who ends up getting a role that it's not personal and it's not just based off your skill that like you're not good enough so you don't deserve to do this or anything like that is honestly a constant reminder when doing auditions and when getting rejected it's it's not always personal there's so much that goes into it that you don't know and like yeah. like you said you're you have to expect to get a lot more no's than yeses and that's kind of how it goes for everybody so that's that's definitely a big reminder that you need to know going into this because it is a really weird industry and you do get a lot of a lot of falling down to get put yourself back up like that kind of repeats itself and you have to really love it to be in it and to keep going I would think for sure. And then I guess there's an advantage when you start at a younger age because it kind of thickens your skin a little bit and and gets you used to it a lot quicker. But -hmm. something I would tell myself was that casting directors sometimes don't know what they're looking for until the day of. So don't take it personally. And then the second thing was too, was that kind of like it's an honor to be nominated. It's an honor to get this audition. That's so true. I I love that. Yeah, I think that was a big thing too that I like didn't realize when I was younger that for some auditions you have to be like allowed to audition like that already is a stage to be like yeah we want to see your tape or we want to have you in the room or we want to see your work like that itself like you just said like is a nomination it is a stage that like you can still be proud of and be excited about and you also learn from every audition you do and every tape and you totally. can take what you learn from that for your future work or for your future auditions and that's huge as well. I want to know what you've learned in your roles in film and television and then into this Audible series that we're about to get into. Mm. How do you go about preparing for this new kind of medium, another platform, when you are so used to or have such a strong background in something else? Yeah, getting to work in the audio space was so fun because it was totally different and something I'm not exactly used to which was like the best part about it, even just going into the studio and like getting to wear the headphones, like getting to like work with different equipment that I don't normally like be on set was so much fun. And I mean, one thing, it's so much faster, which is so cool. I was like, wow, we were just so productive. We just like recorded so much in such a short time versus with film and TV, it's such a production and it's so long. And for, for audio, there is such an incredible production as well, but you don't see it as much as an actor. Like you're not there when all those things are happening. Versus when you're on set, it's, it's such a such a large process and so many hours. That was really interesting difference for sure. That was like a, a big one. And specifically for, for performance, I guess, I, I would have to remind myself in the booth. And I was like, oh, no one's seen my face. Like I need to make sure the things that I'm trying to do are heard just from my voice or the little sounds and, and chemistry between characters and all these things. That's purely audio, which was really cool. And yeah. such a different medium. 
that was really fun to get to explore. And hopefully I can do more in the audio space because it was really fun and it was something totally different. Okay, wait. So what does preparation look like or how does preparation differ from film TV to audio? Because like you said, you're not emoting. No one can actually see your expressions. They can only hear it. So how do you prepare for that? Preparing? I mean, a big thing, obviously, with with film and TV, like you will go into hair and makeup, you'll do wardrobe fittings, you'll understand what your character looks like visually. And for audio, what's kind of fun is to imagine all the listeners, they can they can picture what your character looks like visually. And you don't have control over that. It's like when you're reading a book, at least if I'm reading, I'm like, I have every single scene in my head and I know what the background mm. looks like and whatever, but that's just in my head. So knowing that going into it and really just preparing, I guess, like I, I kind of had a vision as well when reading the scripts. Was like, oh, what is what does Fletcher's Grove look like? What do the other characters look like? What is the town like? And kind of just put, be in your own world when you're performing to help me a lot, at least to, to visualize it myself while still understanding that like, listeners will be visualizing their own world but i don't know just just picturing picturing that and kind of diving in and and reading the scripts and understanding the different nuances of stuff because there isn't a visual picture when you arrive to set you're like oh this is what the set looks like this is what the background is going to be this is what we're working with it's like it's in your head and it's also going to be in the listener's head so just putting those pieces together before you get to work i think was really important and super fun because i love stuff like that Okay, well, your love definitely shows in Mistletoe Murders, too. This is such a fun series. I just listened to it. And it's quite different from what you've done in the past. But this is what it takes to be an actor. You flex your chops in multiple <laughs> ways. How did you get involved in this project? Um, I mean, I first was involved in, in season one, and it was so much fun. Because one, just being with other Canadian talent and doing a Canadian like Audible original was so much fun. Because I always love being part of Canadian content and watching and listening to Canadian content. So that was a, a big part of it. And I also love the holidays and I love Christmas. So going to be in a project that is so festive and kind of has like a mysterious twist is still very like cheery and in the holiday holiday themed was great because I've never done that before and I've always wanted to. So that was definitely a big factor that like really drawed my attention. Um, And just getting to be in the new space like we talked about and getting to explore a different type of performing I guess in different medium was was a really big part of it as well so all of those aspects made me really excited to be a part of it and I was just excited that they they thought of me and that they asked me to be be in this so it was great and getting to season two as well because season one was now like a year ago so mm-hmm. hearing that I did well and that people wanted it again was was great what can you tell us about your character Violet and her growth in season two Violet is I mean she's she's like that classic teenager who loves to get into people's business at least that's I think very classic trait again especially her father and and Emily's business and she definitely wants to see them together and loves to just be a part of also all the mysteries that happen in in the town and she knows she might be overstepping at times but she doesn't care she's gonna do anyway which I feel like is is a common trend with with teenagers some people at the age they're like I I need to be up in the business and know what's happening she also she's a boyfriend this season which is a new addition and he may or may not be a suspect or somewhat potentially involved in some of the mysteries as well. And that kind of tightens things for her. And she has an emotional attachment now to people in, in these stories. So it, it was so much fun. And she's also a part of, um, she works at Emily's store, which adds to her being involved in seeing what Emily's doing and what she's not doing and what she says and what she doesn't say and all of that. So mm. it, it was great. And I I hope she, she's kind of just going through her teenage years, you know, doing. You know, all those things being with her with her single parent and 
working in the small town is is always kind of a balance, but she's making it work and she loves Christmas too. <laughs> yeah. And when you mentioned Emily, I mean, a lot of returning talents like Kobe Smolders, it must have been so cool to have that tight knit Canadian kind of group, even though you're probably not recording together, but just knowing that all of you are at the helm and in front of the camera to make this all happen. Mm-hmm. I was on Zoom with Raymond for for all of our scenes together. And he was, I believe he was in Toronto and I was in Vancouver. And mm-hmm. I had I met him a few months later at an event in Toronto. This was after season one. And I literally went out to him and I was like, you were my dad. He was like, because <laughs> we had never met in person. And it was so funny. And we were like, oh my God, family reunion. But that was great. Because yeah, you, you do get to work together, but you don't, you're not always always yeah. in the same space, and that's something specifically with with audio projects. You don't have to be in the same space. So getting to meet later in person was so funny, and I was like, we like we literally were a family, but we never met. So that was great. You know what I've noticed about the work that you do and the roles that you've taken on too? They they all seem to have some sort of connection with either a lived experience that you've had or something with your life, whether it's cultural representation or uh, just something within the teenage years. Uh, but it shows. I feel like when you connect yourself with jobs and roles that you can confidently speak to, you can hear the passion, you can hear the excitement, you can see it too. Yeah, thank you. I, I appreciate that. I hope so. I hope those things are adding to my characters and adding to performances because totally, I, I love I love being able to read a character and be like, oh, I, I get it. Or like, I see where they're coming from or... or something about them, something small about that is very relatable or hits close to home. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, because like in the past work that you've done, cultural representation is a big thing. Like when I was a kid growing up, I didn't have a lot of that. I grew up in the 90s, a bit of the 80s, and there were maybe two Asian women on screen um, at the time. Michelle Yeoh was one of them. And that mm. was pretty much it. And so to see this, you know, era where representation is valued and talents like yourself can slide into those roles with that experience and that confidence, I think means a whole mm-hmm. the next generation coming up. I completely agree. I think just seeing characters who are mixed race or who are Asian just existing on screen and getting to be a full character who has their own challenges and who is a love interest or who yeah. could be a lead character and and their entire trade is not just their racial identity. It's it's an incredible part of who they are, and it's a huge part of of their existence. But it's not the only thing that we talk about. It's not the only thing we focus on. Yes, it's that's so it. special to see, and is so mm-hmm. important. And I I feel very lucky that I've gotten to contribute to that and to mean something to viewers and to listeners out there. So it's it's something I definitely don't take lightly. And and the coolest parts I think is when I meet someone else who has been firsthand affected by it. And I've met different people who were like, this this project really changed my outlook on myself or this made me oh, more I confident to, to do this or to wear this or to talk about this at school or with my peers. And those are the coolest moments ever from seeing like, it really does make a difference and it can impact people that I don't know and that are all across the world and that are outside of my like bubble of life. Like it reaches farther than than just me right here. And that's the coolest part. That's I love that. So people just come up to you and and tell you, oh, yeah, wow, or great, totally. Or there'll be like comments on Instagram, or even friends right. that I know will be like, "I've had an experience like this," or with different types of like representation as well, with Asian representation and queer representation, and and 
different visuals of what people look like and different groups of what they've been a part of. Like there's so many specifics of how people have grown up and people have faced different challenges. So if they can see that in a project that I'm a part of and yeah, and they tell me about it, it honestly, like that's what makes it all worth it. Like, I mean, that's, that's so cool. And that makes me motivated to keep going and to be a part of projects I'm passionate about because it, it does make a difference. Yeah. It sounds like you do take on this responsibility now to to have people see themselves and the things that you do and maybe the struggles that you're going with. I know that the advocacy work with anti-bullying that you're a part of is really important to you too. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it can be very daunting, I guess. And I think I, I've talked about this with other people who are in similar positions and it can feel very intimidating at times as well to be like, oh, I've taken on this role or this platform or this this voice that it matters so much and there's so much weight to it and I I care so much about it and how people are being talked about and how messaging is is placed. So because of that there is this pressure and it definitely can be scary at times. Mm. But I think someone reminded me recently that the fact that someone like me is seen on screen and someone like me is a part of projects and people who are Asian and who are mixed race are just being shown that itself is going to do something for the community. And totally. that itself by getting the opportunities that we do and taking them graciously is is already being a movement in, in ways and is already going to impact others. And I think that's a good reminder as well of like just getting to do this and getting to do this in a in a grateful and kind manner does does something in itself, I guess, because there is a lot of pressure and it can be really scary too. If I go, am I doing enough or what does this look like or how can I do better? And I'm always trying to get to that place, but having that reminder as well, because me as a viewer, seeing someone just exist can be enough to, to feel comforted and to feel understood and validated. So there's definitely a balance between those two things. Yeah, I can't agree with you more. I know you mentioned that you're a big fan of Christmas, big fan of the oh, holiday. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. I don't know. Is like November 1st an appropriate time to start celebrating? Uh, I feel like, I mean, I'm a huge Halloween person as well. Oh, okay. I'm like a big festivities person. So like last night, I was like, if this is like Halloween is going to be as long as possible. Literally this morning, my mom is wearing her Halloween shirt. And I was like, mom, it's November. And she was like, yeah, but this is my last day to wear this. I was like, okay. That like, Halloween will, my decorations will still be up for a few more weeks and then Christmas will happen later. I don't know. I don't know when, like maybe like a week before December is when you can feel like we can start listening to music and we can start like putting out sure. a few things. But once December first hits, it's like go crazy. <laughs> it's go time. So what do the holidays traditionally look like for you? Oh, uh, I mean, it's important to my whole family and we have a lot of little traditions that we love following. Like, for example, on Christmas Day, Every year, we always open our stockings on my parents' bed. So I'll go to my parents' room and open our stockings there. And then we'll go downstairs and open presents. And then after that, my dad and my sister, who are very big athletes, they'll always go on their annual Christmas Day run. And they'll they'll leave to go running. And me and my mom will go to McDonald's. And we'll get breakfast for everybody, like, takeout. And we'll pay for the people behind us in the drive-thru. And then we'll come home. And, like, they'll be coming back from the run. And we'll all have breakfast together. And I don't even know when that tradition started. But now it feels like it's been forever because it's been many years in a row. And it, it just, it's so cute and it just works really well. And <laughs> I, I look forward to it every year. I love this. What do you order? What's like your typical McDonald's? Ooh, okay, well, if it's breakfast, I'll get like an egg McMuffin. So like classic. a classic egg McMuffin and a hash browns, of course. And then when, because it's Christmas, I'm like peppermint hot chocolate if they have them. That I feel like oh. just like completes it. 
I've never had that before. It, yeah. I don't know if they have it every year, but they definitely have had it at times. And it it just like completes the festive vibes. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm salivating just at the thought of that combination. Thank you you for that. (laughs) Congratulations on this series returning for another season. And we're just so excited for all the good things to come from you. Thank you, Anna. It was so great to meet you. Mistletoe Murders 2 is available to stream on Audible. And don't forget to check out part two with the cast of the series right here on Homegirl Nation. And that is with the iconic Jean Yoon. Thank you so much for dropping by for this homegirl discussion. You know the door is always open.